Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. What's the will of God for my life? You ever ask yourself that question? I kind of hope you have. I mean, you should want to know what God's will is for your life. I know I've asked that question on, on several occasions. As a, as a freshman in college at Northern Illinois University, I was really wondering, what did God want for my life? And, and he's always good to give answers. I've talked with lots of young people about the same question. I've, I've talked with lots of adults about that same question. You know, is it God's will that we buy a house or even this house? Is it God's will that I change my job? Is it God's will I get married? Really the overarching question that people is, is, are asking within that, it's, it's how do I find and fulfill God's will for my life? That, that's really the question. How do I find and fulfill it? And, and that's the question we'd like to answer today as we continue our series on Better Together with a message on Jesus and the will of God. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. We say that because we want you daily in God's Word if you're new to, to Connection Point. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22 today. I made sure to look at the verses I was going to read this morning, different than last week. I needed some help. But we're going to be in uh, verses 39 to 46 today. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in a passage that, that's a powerful one because if you've ever wrestled with the will of God for your life, you're in good company. Even Jesus wrestled with God's will. And this is what we find in our passage. So taking a look at Luke chapter 22, reading in verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing... So Jesus praying about the will of God. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. In the series that we've been in, we've established some really important things that we have a king. We live in a kingdom. God's word is our guide, and we have a mission to fulfill, a mission that requires endurance. And we've been talking about those things, those characteristics that lead to endurance. Things such as living well in Christian community, serving, giving, uh, fasting, praying, rest, singing. So these are all practices, things that we can do to help us endure in the mission that God has for us, this, this good work. And last week, we, we transitioned from not just practices, but mindsets. Mindsets are really important. The way we think about things makes a difference in the way that we view all things that come into our lives. And, and so last week, we talked about suffering. We found that suffering is an important part of following Jesus. And, and here's why. Because what suffering does is we walk through hardships. As long as we allow the Lord to transform our pain, that's the important part. We've got to allow him to transform it. We don't want to transfer it to something else, which is what a lot 
uh, of what happens in our society. So we want to see it transformed. If we allow God to transform it, what happens is, is he removes our false self and allows our new creation in Christ to emerge. That's what God does through suffering. And now what we want to do this week is, is handle another important mindset. It's, it's how we regard the will of God and, and what we do with that. Your thoughts regarding God's will, it can determine your ability to stay engaged in the kingdom mission that God has for you. And the first thing we find is this. There are two wills of God. There are actually two wills of, of God, and, and you've maybe not considered this, but there are two very clear and very different meanings for the term will of God as you look at Scripture. And again, because Scripture, God's Word is our guide, that's where we've got to go for our answers. And, and so the first thing we find is we need to understand the difference between these two meanings. The first will of God relates to God's sovereign will. This is what Jesus is praying about in the passage that we just read this morning. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The will of God in this verse, it refers to the sovereign plan of God that's going to now happen in the, in the coming hours as we, if we were to continue to read the passage. In Acts, uh, the next, so we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. We've got another book that records the life of early Christians. And, and believers were recounting what happened to Jesus. And here's what they shared. Truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So the believers in Acts were recounting these deeds and they understood that God had willed them to occur. So the will of God in this case was that Jesus would die. It was actually God's plan. There really was no changing it. And yet Jesus prays and asks and says, here's my request, but you do what is best to do. He trusted God the Father to do it. That's the sovereign will of God. But part of what we need to understand as it relates to God's sovereign will is that in this case, it actually included man's evil intent. It can be hard for us to consider. But Herod, Pilate, the soldiers, many Jewish leaders, they all sinned in fulfilling God's will that his son be crucified. You ever considered that? In other words, God is sovereign over all things, and yet he can still disapprove of many things. And those things can be hard to reconcile. So let me give you an example from, from the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Peter writes, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. In other words, it may be God's will that Christians suffer for doing good. Peter, in this case, has in mind persecution. But persecution of Christians who do not deserve it, let's be clear, it's evil. It's, it, it is. So again, God sometimes wills that events come about that actually include sin. Paul, a follower of Jesus, he gives a summary of this truth when he writes believers in Ephesus. He shares, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The will of God is God's sovereign governance of all that comes to pass. And there are many other passages in Scripture that teach that God's providence over the universe, it extends to the smallest details of nature and human decisions. We find in Matthew chapter 10, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from our Father in heaven. We find in Proverbs chapter 16, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. 
Find in Proverbs chapter 21, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. It turns wherever he wills. So the first meaning of the will of God is it's God's sovereign control of all things. And we kind of know that to a certain extent. So we call this his sovereign will. It can't be broken. It always comes to pass. So that's the first one. I think when we talk about the will of God, that's usually the one we're considering. King Nebuchadnezzar, as he talks about this one, he, he declares in Daniel, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven, so talking about God, and among the inhabitants of the earth, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God's sovereign will. But now the other meaning of the will of God in scripture is what we call his declared will. Because remember, Jesus is king. And his will is what he then asks us or commands us to do. This is the will of God that we can actually disobey and fail to do, of which, of course, there's consequences for. So here's an example we find in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So apparently not all do the will of God. Jesus says this. Not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, he says. Why? Because not all do the will of God. So Paul writes believers in, in Thessalonica. I just want to give you examples of some places in Scripture we find God's declared will, where he declares it, but that doesn't mean it will come to pass. It's actually contingent upon us in our response. So in Thessalonica, for this is the will of God. So again, that terminology, this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So here we have a very specific instance of what God declares. Holiness, sanctification, and sexual purity. This is God's declared will. Uh, people, especially young people or young adults, they've, they've often asked about knowing the will of God for their lives. But what I have found is, is if you simply read scripture, God's will is often explicitly stated. It just may go against what we would rather do because of the influence culture has on our life. It is God's will that you and I live sexually pure lives. And not because he wants us to miss out on something, but because he knows where those desires are most healthily and wholly expressed, minimizing physical and emotional turmoil. Lots of counseling is exhibited in this area. Why? Because we don't follow God's plan for it. Near the end of May, I'm going to get into a message on Jesus and sexuality because I want to cover this important topic. But I just felt like that verse is really easy for us to look at. God's declared will for us. There's another one, another verse from that, that same New Testament book. Here's what Paul writes. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So this is another specific instance of God's declared will. Give thanks in all circumstances. So how about I miss this one sometimes? So, you know, part of the joys of like working through messages is the Lord brings conviction too. So I'm like, you know what? I've had some circumstances I have not been very thankful for. So it's then I got to stop out because I don't know about you, but I want to fulfill God's will. And so then when God points something out in our lives, it's then our opportunity to respond. So like I had to stop and I had to say, God, I'm going to thank you for this circumstance. It has been difficult, but now I want to thank you. And guess what happens when you do that? It's like joy fills and floods your soul. And I want to encourage you this morning. When you follow God's will, good things happen in your life. 
It's not that God's trying to hold good things back from us. So God's declared will. What is it? That we give thanks in all circumstances. Another example. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So notice in here, not all abide forever. Some do, some don't. The difference, because some do the will of God and some don't. The will of God, in a sense, does not always happen. So from these passages of Scripture and many others I could, I could highlight, we can conclude there's two ways of talking about the wills of God. Both are true, and both are important to understand and believe in. One is God's sovereign will, which will come to pass no matter what. And then the other is God's declared will, which can actually be broken. So I'd like to ask you this morning, I mean, just consider the verses that I shared How are you doing? Obeying God's declared will. Are you living in sexual purity? Are you thankful in all circumstances? Those are just two that I highlighted. I would say this, if not, just confess that to God. He already knows it. And allow the Lord to flood your heart with his peace, his love, and his joy as you start walking in his plan for your life. But now what I want to do is look at how do these two ways of looking at God's will, how do they work together? Because they do. Here's what we find, that These two wills of God, they work together in in interesting ways that both correspond to a deep need we all have when we're experiencing hurt or great loss. So one on the one hand, we need the assurance that God is in control. So as we talk about God's sovereign will, we know God's in control. But at the same time, we need to understand as we walk through hard moments that he can work all things together for our good and his glory. Uh, Last week, we talked about Jesus and suffering, and I I highlighted ways that God works through our hardships for our good and his glory. If you missed that message, I encourage you to go back because it will make a difference in the way that you hear this message. And what we need to consider is if God's sovereign will is going to be done, even if that may cause us harm, how can we know that God still cares for us in the middle of that pain? Which is a really good question to ask. But this is where God's declared will comes in. So I want to give you an example of this and maybe try to help you better understand what I mean. So maybe you were not treated well as a child. Maybe you faced abuse, and if someone were to ask, which I think this would not be a smart question, but someone were to ask, do you think that was the will of God? I would imagine your first response would be to slap them, right? Do you think that's the will of God? How do you answer? But here's how we answer when we look at how these two wills work together. We say, no, it was not God's will because he commands humans not to be abusive, but to love each other. The abuse broke his commandment and it moved his heart with anger and grief. Yet I know there are a hundred ways he could have stopped it. But for reasons I don't fully understand yet, he didn't. But I am still confident he can work through it for my good and his glory. This is how God's wills work together. And again, so I want to share, if you missed last week's message, go back and listen to that because God does work through our pain. He really does. And he does wonderful things through it if we allow him to transform it. But this is how God's two wills work together. God's declared will and his sovereign will. So when you consider this particular situation I mentioned, there's two things that you need. You need to know that there is a God who is strong and sovereign enough to turn it for good, but also a God who can empathize with you in that moment. On one hand, Jesus is a sovereign high king and nothing happens apart from his will. But on the other hand, Jesus is a merciful high priest who sympathizes with us in our weakness and our pain. 
His sovereign will is invincible, and his declared will can be grievously broken, and we see that in the world today. And so we need both of these truths, both of these understandings of the will of God. So I would say this, the next time you're facing a difficulty, be confident God is in control. He can see you through and bring about resurrection in your life. That's what we talked about last week. But that doesn't mean he wanted you to experience the pain of it. Evil was at work. Willful commands were being broken by others for that experience that you had. But yet God is there in the midst of your suffering and hardship, grieved by what you're going through. So the two wills of God, they work together to give us confidence in our suffering that Jesus understands our pain and will see us through. So now how is it then that we apply God's will to our life? How do we find and fulfill? That's what I want to cover. How do we find and fulfill? So if we understand there's two wills, how do we both find God's will and then fulfill it? And I would say that there's three important ways that we find God's will and that there's then three stages of working toward fulfillment of it in our lives. So let me first address the first part. How do we find God's will? And I would say it's, it's number one, by having a God-listening heart, which is, by the way, the very definition of wisdom. And so I would say the first and probably best way of knowing or finding the will of God is by reading scripture. God's will is in this book, and he declares it very simply and very easily for us to understand. So as you read, study, and meditate on scripture, you will find the will of God for your life. You will. But a second way, so that's one way. And I would say that's the best way. The second way, though, is you can find God's will by talking with other believers. You can be talking with a friend, a mentor, a pastor, and all of a sudden something is spoken that you know God spoke through that person. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I know Shelly and I have, that somebody says something, and it's like in a moment you realize God spoke that. That person may have used their, their own tongue to, to transmit it, but God spoke through them. God can speak through other believers. And then thirdly, is that God reveals his will through prayer and in times of quiet before him. God puts things in your heart. He shares things with you. You could be laying down at night or, or getting up in the morning and God puts things in your heart in those moments of stillness before him. Now, I always like to give a point of clarification in terms of finding God's will for your life through these three important means. If what you're hearing is illegal, unethical, or immoral, do we think that's from God? No, that's a real easy one. If whatever you're hearing doesn't align with God's word, it's not God's will. It's not God speaking to your heart or even through that individual. So anything you hear from someone else or during your times of prayer or stillness, they've got to match up with God's word, always. And this is why it's important that you're in God's word so that you know it and you can always test whatever anybody else says or what you're hearing from the Lord against his word. We can find God's will through scripture, through other believers, or in times of prayer or stillness before God. But I would say this is one thing to find it. It's then another thing to fulfill it. So, so we can find it three ways, but we also fulfill it in three important stages. And I would say the first and most obvious is simply by obeying the direct commands of God. So the first stage is that we read scripture and then we follow it. We obey it. So as you read through scripture, something I would encourage everyone to do daily. So if you're not daily in God's word, I would start there. Start reading God's word daily. As you do that, then you can start to apply God's commands to your life. And in so doing, what are you doing? You're actually fulfilling, you're, you're fulfilling God's will for your life. This is how you actually express love toward Jesus, who said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, you'll keep my commands. This is how we express gratitude for the work that Jesus did on the cross. 
So I want to put before you, as we follow God's word and, and what he shares with us, we're not just legalistically following a set of rules, but we're walking in the abundant life Jesus came to bring us as we follow his good life giving commands. Abundant living is in these books. And what I find is people who don't follow his commands, they wind up in situations that aren't God's will for their life. Paul tells us that scripture is inspired. It's, it's able to make followers of Jesus complete and equipped for every good work. Not just some good works, but every good work. So it's vital we spend time daily in God's word so that we can be prepared for every good work that he's prepared for us. So the first stage of fulfilling the will of God is very simple. Just read scripture and obey it. Follow it. But then the second stage for fulfilling the will of God is by applying biblical truth to situations in our life that they're not explicitly addressed in scripture. You know, Scripture doesn't tell you which person to marry, which car to drive, whether or not you should own a home, or or where to take a vacation, what cell phone plan to buy, or which brand of orange juice to drink, or a thousand other choices. We've got all these choices, and the Bible doesn't say what to do in some of those things. But what happens is the more time you spend in God's Word, the more then you can transfer those truths into other decisions you make in your life. You see, what's necessary is we have a renewed mind that's been shaped by God's Word, in scripture, and, and then we can begin to make judgments for other things with the mind of Christ and discern what God's will is for those things. God's goal, I want you to understand, God's goal is a new mind for us. He has a new mind for you. That's, again, getting into your true self as new creations in Christ, a new way of thinking and assessing things. God's aim is that we're transformed and operating in ways that align with his very nature. So the second stage of fulfilling God's will is that we discern the application of scripture to new situations in life that we face. So number one, the real simple, is we read it and obey it. Number two, is we read it, we're immersed in it, our mind is being renewed and we make decisions that God would be pleased with. And here's the third stage. The third stage of fulfilling the will of God, it comes from the overflow of your Jesus-centered life. The vast majority of living, it occurs where there's no conscious thought occurring before we act. Most of our behavior, it's not premeditated. In other words, most of our thoughts, our attitudes and actions, they're spontaneous. They're just a spillover from what's inside. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. (laughs) I'll give an example from last night. Shelly and I, so I took Shelly out for Valentine's. She's been my Valentine for, we've been married 20 years. So how many Valentine's? 21? 22? Long time. We went out to dinner last night. We were uh, downtown and the light was turning uh, red, so I stopped, as we should, right? Well, the guy behind me did not feel like he wanted to stop, so he zipped around me, went into a parking lot. He wanted to get into, into a, a ATM. And so he zipped around me, stepped out of his car, and gave me two real nice hand gestures. Out of the spillover of his heart was not good things, right? Now, if I'm honest, honestly, the shocking part was, like, I actually don't expect that in Greater Lafayette. That's kind of abnormal behavior. If I'm in Chicago, I expect it. Not so much Greater Lafayette area. Out of the overflow of his heart was not good things, right? Because so we have these actions that we engage in, and honestly, what is in there is what comes out. I say, when you get bumped, what comes out? So if you're spending enough time with the Lord and immersed in him, when you're bumped, it should be Jesus that comes out. But it takes time for that to occur. You first have to start reading and obeying scripture. 
then you've got to start reading it and start having your mind renewed so you're making God-like decisions to the point where now you're so immersed in God's word when something bumps you, it's Jesus that comes out. Goodness still overflows. So that's the third stage. Because here's what I want you to think about. God commands things like, don't be angry, don't be prideful, don't covet, don't be anxious, don't be jealous, don't envy. But none of these actions are premeditated. Anger, pride, anxiety, jealousy, envy, they all rise up out of our hearts with no conscious reflection or intention. And yet these things also break the commands of God. So the task before us as it relates to faithfully fulfilling the will of God is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need new hearts and new minds. We really do. Which is another way of asking, what is God's will for my life when you think about what God calls us to? God's will or God's call is that you abide in him, that we abide in him so that we can become like him, respond like him, and then that's how we're fulfilling the will of God for our lives. So I would encourage you, immerse yourself in the written word of God. Saturate your mind with it. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, we've always encouraged, there's an app, the Read Scripture app, and it takes you through the Bible in a year, and it has some great videos that help you understand the overarching themes of Scripture. Spend time in God's word so that you might be transformed. And then pray that the Holy Spirit would make you so new, the spillover would be good, acceptable, and perfect. The very will of God. But now what about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? I want to revisit that. So I've laid out for you how do we find and fulfill God's will, but I, but I want us to consider this specific case. It seemed he really wrestled with the will of God. So how can I pass the test of fulfilling the will of God even when it's hard? Which I think is a great question. How can we fulfill God's will even when it's hard? Because this example, Jesus was under tremendous stress when he was praying in the garden. Up to this point, Jesus seems to be in control of most things. Nothing seems to have surprised him this far. But now he's in agony and he's praying earnestly. He knows what's about to come. And it's hard. So hard. He asked God the Father that he would will something different. From where Jesus prays in the garden of Gethsemane, it might take about 20 minutes to get to the top of the mountain. Travel another 20 minutes, a person is off into the wilderness. Within an hour, Jesus could have absolutely disappeared. The temple guards would have never found him. Uh, here's a couple of pictures I want to share with you. One of my favorite places to go when we uh, go to Israel, so we've gone twice uh, with some folks from Connection Point Church. I love to go to, this is the Mount of Olives. Uh, these are where some graves are, but this wasn't necessarily where Jesus was praying. He was probably down more near the base. And so then this is a garden area where we've got the chapel of all nations. So at least gives you a picture of Jesus is here. But here's what I want you to see, the next picture. From this vantage point, if you look across the street, maybe you started with the first picture, I don't know. Do we have a picture of the, the gates? Yes or no? I'll take that as a No. All right, so if you were standing basically in this spot praying, if you look across the street, there's two gates. You can, from this vantage point, see the temple. So the second temple period where Jesus is in, you can look right, oh, there it is. So you guys see these gates over here? Yes? Big box, there it is. So those gates right there, basically Jesus from where he's praying in the garden, because again, it's evening time, it's night, he would have seen the guards coming out from that temple area with torches in hand. And he could have made the decision to say, God, 
I'm going to choose my will. My will is I don't want to face this hardship. And within 20 minutes could have been at the top of the Mount of Olives, 20 more minutes in the Judean wilderness, never to be seen from again. But yet Jesus stays and submits to the very will of God. Why does he do that when he could have walked away? When Caiaphas and and Pilate, no one could have caught him. Uh, It brings us to a certain level of gravity when you think about the prayer that he's praying. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In John's gospel, Jesus essentially prays, Father, glorify your name. And how is God's name glorified in us? Through our obedience. Jesus, out of love, chose to obey the Father and fulfill his will. Jesus, he knew what was coming, but out of love of the Father and us, he stayed and prayed for strength to endure. Something worth pointing out here. And here's the point I'd like to make as it relates to how do we fulfill God's will even when it's hard. If Jesus had not had a habit every day of his life submitting to God's will, when he's sitting in the garden, so you think every day Jesus' practice was submitting to the will of the Father. And had he not had that daily practice, when it came to this moment, when he's sitting at the doorway of escape, at the top of the mountain, he would have not had the fortitude to say, not my will, but yours be done, had he not been already doing it daily. Jesus had to learn obedience and submission to his Father in heaven, just like we do. But you don't arrive in a place like the Garden of Gethsemane praying a prayer like he does if you haven't made it a daily habit in your life. We see from our passage, Jesus had to learn obedience and submission, just like we do. One of the greatest lessons, Shelley and I know that we can teach our kids, Nate, Haley, and Lucas, is obedience. When our, our kids were younger, we had a mantra. So parents of young kids, you can use this if you like. Obey right away without delay. How many know that's a really good quality for kids? (laughs) It is. So that was our mantra when we had young kids in our house. Obey right away without delay. And why would we want them to understand this? We wanted our kids to learn this because we knew if they didn't learn how to follow our requests, it was not likely they would follow God's either. We want our kids to learn how to follow our instructions so that they might experience the joys of following Jesus by fulfilling his goodwill. His goodwill. And either our kids, and might I add us too, we learn how to be obedient in the little things so that when the big tasks arrive, we won't fail. To fulfill the will of God, we must learn how to daily walk in God's will for our life. We find that through scripture. We find that as we talk and interact with other believers. We find that as we've got times of prayer and stillness before the Lord. And here's two principles I want to wrap up with in this last point. Here's two big principles as it pertains to God's sovereign will in our lives. Two principles emerge. The first is this. Our lives are not about us. That could be a hard one to wrestle down, but our lives are not about us. Here's what we've got to consider. We are part of a much bigger whole. We're a part. We're not the whole. We're a part of the whole. We are not our own. Accepting that our lives are not our own, it's an incredible mental, emotional, and spiritual shift. It's important we make. Yet it's about as hard as it was for, think about humans in the, in the 1500s. Once they learned they weren't the center of the universe, like that was really hard for them. 
In fact, the church condemned Galileo once he, he said that that was the truth. This second principle. So the first principle is life's not about us. The second one is that we have to wrestle with is that we're not in control. Sadly, a phrase that dominates much of our culture today is take control of your life. To be in control of our future, our job, and our finances, it's a, it's a rather unquestioned moral today. And on some level, I'll say, we can stay in control of our lives. But when you look at the work of God going all around us and even through us, it becomes clear to see we're not in control. But here's the thing I want to encourage you with. Like those two statements could be kind of hard to hear. But here's how I want you to encourage you in these two statements. When our lives, when we realize that they're not about us, we're not in control, we can actually become grateful to simply be a part and only a part. We don't have to figure it all out, straighten it all out, or even do it perfectly all by ourselves, which by the way, we can't. We don't have to be God, which should be an enormous weight off our shoulders when we consider the words of Jesus who says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why? Because I no longer have to be in control. God can handle my life. I can't handle my life. And what happens is, is this mindset frees us it releases joy in our hearts as we realize we're not the ones steering the ship. Once we can finally admit we're ultimately powerless, we can finally tap in to the true power God offers us, the power of knowing who we are and where we live, that ultimately we are children of God living in his unshakable kingdom. Our lives are not about us. They're about God and about allowing our lives to be done unto us. This is Mary's prayer. Go to Luke. This is Mary's prayer. May it be done unto me, she says. And this is also the very prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think Jesus had a, a good earthly mother that taught him how to pray too. So I want us to rest in knowing life is not about us. We don't have to be in control. Someone much greater is. And it should help us live more freely as we consider that. So let's learn to be obedient in the small thing God puts before us. If God puts it in our heart to encourage somebody, so here's some simple things. God might drop a person's name into your heart. And what do you do with that? Do you call and encourage them? I hope that you do. If he asks you to pray for someone, just pause and pray right there in that moment. If God directs you to love your neighbors, follow through and do that. Engage in acts of kindness. Shovel their driveway or, or pass along an encouraging note. I want to encourage you, find and fulfill the will of God so that you might live forever with him and other believers. And then rest knowing you're a part, you're not the whole, and God is ultimately in control. So how do we find the will of God? That was the question. How do we find and fulfill it? We find it by reading God's word and obeying it. But then by spending so much time in God's word, we can apply those principles to things not explicitly stated. And then the third way we do it is by spending so much time in God's word. When we're bumped, it's Jesus that comes out because we're living a life centered on him. God's in charge. He brings all things together for our good and his glory. In, in writing this message, I was thinking back to my freshman year of college, of which I'd made my own plans for my life. But when I considered God's plans, it totally redirected my life. I wound up at Southeastern University, where I met Shelley. We got married, and we spent an awesome life just following Jesus together. So I'm, I'm sharing this and speaking from our own experience of God's will is good. And when we considered we're a part, not the whole, that he's in control, there's good things that come out of that. There's good things that God has for you and in store for you. And I want you to experience that. I want to invite you to stand as we, we close in song this morning. But as you're standing, I want you to consider 
Have you even considered God's will for your life? Have you asked him that question? Because I realized my freshman year of college, I never even asked him really. I just felt like I was going to live a good Christian life, but I hadn't really asked God, what are your, really, what are your plans for my life? Maybe, maybe you've never asked God that question. And so my invitation to you this morning is start there. Ask for God to, by his Holy Spirit, speak. Speak through scripture, speak through other believers, speak in times of prayer and in times of quiet and hear from him. What's God's will for your life? And, and what I want to start with is for those that are maybe here or maybe they're watching online that, that you've not fulfilled the very basic will of God for your life, which is you in relationship with him. Where are you at this morning? Are, are you in relationship with God, the Father? The entry point for that we find in scripture is through Jesus, the Son, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but by me. So if that's you today, I want to give that invitation first. I want you to fulfill the will of God for your life, which is that you are in relationship with him. So with every head bowed this morning, is that you? You realize you're not fulfilling that very basic will of God in relationship with him. But today you'd say, but I want to fulfill God's will for my life. I realize I've been trying to do it on my own. I've been trying to stay in control. I've been trying to be the whole instead of the part, and and it's not working. So if that's you today, and you'd say, I want to fulfill God's will by being truly the child of God he's called me to be. If that's you today, I encourage you, raise your hand. Who here today would say, that's me? I just want to pray with you before we leave today. Over here on the right, anybody else that would say, that's me today? I need to fulfill that basic will of God. Understanding I'm meant to be in relationship with him. Let me pray with those individuals, and I want to pray for those that are here. Maybe you're already fulfilling that aspect of God's will for your life, but you're not really fulfilling... God's will for your life and as it relates to the job he'd have you do and and the way that he'd have you live. So I want to pray with you as well. Who here today would say, I I need to just press in and find God's will for my life, that there's something lacking, it's missing, and and yet I I want to find what that is. I just want to pray with you too. Anybody here today would say, that's me. Who here today would say, "I I know I'm missing. Over here on the right, anybody else? Here in the middle, anybody else? Over on the left. I'm missing an aspect that I really want to know what that is. God, I want to pray right now for those in this room that said, I need to follow God. I want to be connected with my creator. Jesus, I pray right now that you would flood their hearts with peace in knowing that they are safely in your hands. They're fulfilling that very basic will of God that, that they wouldn't perish, but they would know you. Live forever with you and other believers. So God, for the person that raised their hand, maybe others in this room or those that are joining us online, I pray, Jesus, that you fill their heart with peace. But Lord, I pray that you would compel them to action of just reaching out to say, I've made this decision and now I want to know where I go from here. Lord, because it's more than a decision. This is just a start. This isn't the finish line. This is us now moving according to your will. So God, I pray for those that responded that way. I pray, God, they'd have the strength to do it to respond in that way. And then Jesus, for those that raise their hand, that that are wrestling with what is your will for their life and and the the job that you have for them, the role that you have for them. And I pray, Jesus, that you would begin to speak to their hearts. I pray that they would get into your word to begin to find your will there. I pray that they would spend times of prayer and, and seeking your Holy Spirit's direction. I pray that they would engage in the community the local church, this congregation and life groups are in other ways that they might find your will being spoken through the lives of others too. God, I just pray that you'd help us to both find and fulfill your will for each and every one in this room. Oh Lord, we trust you for that work. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say as we close in song this morning, just begin to cry out to the Lord. If you're just really struggling with what's God's will for your life, look, a time of song is a great time for the Lord to speak to your heart. Whether by you singing that song or listening to the words and just allowing God to speak to you. The the song we're going to close with is make room. So that's a good thing. Have you made room for God in your life? What I realized my freshman year is I gave him a little bit of room. But guess what? He wants all the room. And that's a good thing. So give God room in your life this morning as we close in song and just begin to pursue and find and fulfill his will for your life. Let's sing.